0: I was always excited about why we are doing this product. You know, what is, who are we competing with? How are we competing? And you know, the whole whole product offering, so to say, not just the engineering part and the actual product part, but you know, everything around the product to make it work. Because I I have seen and I was reading a lot of stuff about, you know, not always the best product wins. You know, sometimes you have, uh, you know, very you know, so so product that actually got everything else around the business model the distribution right and they, they managed to be successful so i was very fascinated about everything beyond also the the engineering part and um after i graduated 2010 i met with vasil and i was you know we were discussing he said you know we have this this product that we have it we have been struggling there for uh, about two years now they decided to do a whole rewrite of a product And um, the product was late, you know, they were, you know, trying to also change the strategy at the time and so on. And he said, you know, I think, you know, it would be really helpful if you, you know, join the team and become a business analyst, which nobody knew what a business analyst was because there was no other position like a business analyst. So this was the first kind of a product manager position. So it was a business analyst, you need to work with, uh, you know, uh, identify what needs to be built, work with customers, work with, uh, you know, the UX team and so on. And then I, I actually, after three, four months, I started leading the user experience team. Um, so I was, I really enjoyed that part. And this is something I, I discovered there that I really enjoy, you know, working with uh, people that are, you know, building the UI and me having a background as a developer. We are very fast at doing iterations and thinking and, 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 and aligning on what's possible, what's not possible, and so on. And that kind of a rapid experimentation uh, really got me really into building products. Um, and then obviously that was changed to being product managers. I had a chance 2012 to start uh, one of our first uh, you know, uh, uh, cloud pr- platforms that we were building, uh, which was really a big, big uh, Challenge for Telerik because Telerik was, uh, you know, very different business model and very different skill set. There were not a lot of, you know, server codes and uh, things like that at the time. Node.js JS, so technology was just starting. And uh, you know, we built uh, what was called the back-end the services, uh, an engine where mobile developers can go and uh, build their mobile apps. On which I built the uh, citizens app, Gracjanite, um, and. Um, you know, that that gave us the opportunity to, for for me, literally, um, to really build a startup within Telerik. Like, literally two guys, myself and another uh, uh, person, Pavel Ilyev, who was kind of the technical, he was like the lead engineer, I was the lead PM as a pair. And we are still running this model even in PayHawk today. So this kind of a pair between a talented engineer and talented, you know, business person, who work together um, with a UX person as a mini pot, three people, this is kind of the the atoms of every product. So you need to have really these three kind of, um, this triangle working really strongly for you to be able to really iterate and move extremely fast. And if, if you don't have any of those three things, user experience person, a product manager, and a very strong engineer, that doesn't allow you to, you know, to do things. And when I was starting Payhawk, I was really looking on how to do that kind of a setup. You know, the big question was, can we identify the market in which we can build something exciting? Mm. Um, because funny enough, and then can we also raise the capital to get there? Because at the end of the day, 95% of startups die with a product. Mm. They don't die because they cannot get the product to work. 95% of them get it to work. The problem is that you know, they, they, they stop to exist because they run out of money. So I think what we had was the ingredients on, and, 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 uh, and uh, the playbook on how to build products. Mm. And it is the same whether whether you are you know first of all you need to identify the customer you need to understand the pain points of the customer you know like exactly. uh, whether whether it is a developer or a finance person obviously you need to spend a little bit more time to understand how this person is doing his job and so on but the, but the framework is the same um and um you know i think i think um our first initial goal was to really go and speak to you know 30 40 CFOs and really try to understand. uh, Is this this the market? Um, Is this the the opportunity? And so on. I can
1: only guess these were difficult conversations. Yeah, no, I mean, (laughs)
0: um, actually not that much. I mean, because you always go with a clear hypothesis what you want to test. So you already have context. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you learn with every conversation, with every interaction with with somebody Uh, that's um, kind of a professional of what he does and uh, you you build on it you build on it and uh, at the same time you're trying to you know reverse engineer how the financial services work how this kind of card issuing payments market works what is the regulatory framework what is the licensing framework how everything fits together and the good thing is if somebody has done it you know there is no reason why we shouldn't be able to do it as well um and that was our thinking um so i i think i at the end of the day, you need to be a firm believer of the problem you're solving. If you're a firm believer and you are and, and that belief comes from you outlining the problem to a you know somebody that has the problem and him agreeing with you. And get, and, and he not not only just nodding and saying yes out of politeness. Because you offered him a hundred-dollar Amazon gift card for thirty test. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, just yeah, yeah. It is, but he needs to get passionate about it. If mm. you don't see the sparkle in his eye, he doesn't get it. Uh, he, this is not a problem worth solving, and uh, uh, unless the uh, you know the, the person doesn't want to leave the call, you know you haven't found the 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 the, the problem, and that's it. extremely extremely important. This is, I think that's the the, the best phase of a startup, this kind of a creativity at the beginning where you're spending a lot of time, you know, I, I, I joke that, um, the, the whiteboard, the world is a canvas. You can, you can do whatever you want. Um, and that's your most creative period. And you really need to try to, you know, Get as many people as possible excited about what you're doing. You need to see their passion because this passion is going to give you motivation that this is worth solving. Um, and the more you spend into this, it is uh, you know uh, the, the more benefits you you get early on. And then as soon as you say, okay, this is what we are going to do, from then on, from 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 then on, it is like all the hard work around getting this idea to actually work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if your f- idea fundamentally wasn't that good wasn't that strong wasn't that validated your strategy was not very clear doesn't matter how you're going to execute it 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 has a ceiling and a limit and i think the other reason why investors are investing so much money in the market in which we are is because they are really seeing that this has a huge market potential this is the total addressable market is massive because a lot of companies and us, we were joking. Um, the previous guest on your podcast just wanted to become a customer, <laughs> uh, and said, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." Um, because everybody has the problem, everybody understands the problem, it, and I think that's the ingenuity about innovation that you can get it to be so simple, so uh, you know, so simple that everybody can understand, and everybody would like, why? Why wasn't this built before?
2: And I think that back then I was, we were actually designing. A bunch of other things. I was actually that was my first official job. I guess is what we call prepress. We were doing designs for a bunch of companies in Bulgaria, and I was working with these guys. I was working for these guys, mm-hmm. and uh, they uh, they really taught me a couple of them really taught me uh, why is it important that things should look good. Mm-hmm. Why is it important that aesthetics matter? Uh, what good looks like. And I think that's where I got a lot of my aesthetics education is from these two specific people mm-hmm. where I would try to design something and they will completely slash it. And uh, I would try again. And I think that's where it started. And I think that's how I got into the whole design and aesthetic part of the uh of, the, of our lives because it's, it's an important part of our lives.
1: Why is it important? I always wonder this. I mean, I have this. It gives you purpose. Yeah.
2: It gives you purpose because if you just think, do things because of what they do or what you do and how they function, this puts you in the whole developer engineering kind of mindset. But it doesn't give pleasure to the people consuming your products. Mm. So if you manage to do it in an aesthetically pleasing way, this actually drives people's emotion on a completely different level. And you can still have the same device that does a specific job, you can still have the same piece of software that does the same job, but when it looks good is when your emotions go on a different level. Mm -hmm. And that gives a whole lot of different purpose to what you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why it's important. I assume that people could still ride their uh, ugly cars, but nobody wants to ride an ugly car anymore. It's no more a matter of a function. Mm-hmm. Same goes for pretty much any product uh, that you use. It's, for a lot of people, it's not important what it looks like, but when they see something that looks better, they prefer it. Everybody wants something that looks better, regardless of uh, of the, you know, for some people the brand is also important, but regardless of where it comes from and so on, if you put an ugly thing next to a beautiful thing, everybody would go for the beautiful thing.
3: Mm-hmm. It's our nature. Mm-hmm. All of
2: these guys, uh, you know, uh, they they absolutely will kill each other over an argument about a specific feature in a specific product. I was always fascinated by this, and this was kind of a natural progression from us being a two-guy shop to a huge group of people building communities. and It was very natural because this is the way communities in the computer graphics world operate. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I love it. Way,
1: we have this topic quite often also here. We try to speak also very openly about failure. And I was thinking, OK, do you remember a situation where you know, you were crushed by the community, saying that, OK, now this is shit. We don't want it. <laughs> Something that you've built. On
2: a daily basis. On a yeah. daily basis. <laughs>
1: daily. How do you deal with that? <laughs>
2: Uh, a lot of pills. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, we learn, we, we learn because initially we were taking this very personally. We were taking all of these comments as as an insult to what we've done, mm-hmm. uh, being younger. With time we learned that this is, even though they, you know, people are aggressive against you specifically, uh, they actually are, have nothing against you as a person, as an in- individual. It's always about, uh some specific problem, some specific case in their lives, something that didn't go well for them in the product. And it's never a personal thing, but initially it takes a lot of effort to kind of separate the two because the guy is saying, Peter, you suck at what you've done, you know? And it takes a moment of time, count to 10 and all of that before you reply and uh just divide the personal aggression towards you because you are currently the carrier of the message and the news to these guys so they attack you mm-hmm. but then try to analyze it and think about actually what they mean by saying it mm-hmm. and there's always a very distinctive division between the two obviously there were people who actually hate us personally but it's actually a very ma- small amount of people mm-hmm. i honestly believe it's people when they insult you they actually i think they mean something very very different and you meet them in Person in somewhere in the events across the globe, there are always uh, nice uh, girls and guys who actually mean the best for you but uh, at that specific moment something failed for them and they had to take it out on someone and you were the one to deliver the bad news so uh, thats
1: this is quite often actually the case that people you yeah. know tend to you know hate or you know send this negative attitude to others because they are struggling themselves with something yeah, yeah. so it's, it's always good thing. to very, human, very yeah. human and always good to approach them with empathy yeah. by the way i was wondering because you started <clears throat> first with one product and then at some point you had like 20 products and you know some of them were really really successful um who is in charge of the portfolio management and how do you manage a portfolio uh you know of you know such a growing, uh, you know, innovation within the company and you say, okay, this is the North Star and this is where we're going to go and we're going to think about innovating and building the products for the next, I don't know, five years. Do you manage the pro- the, the portfolio or who is doing that?
2: Yeah, we were doing this together in the beginning, then Valo tr- took a bigger charge in that. Then years later we figured out this does not work at all because we were always perceiving it from a technological perspective uh, and not from a product and business perspective and that's very much behind. Uh, But at one point we started building a product management team
4: that actually now takes care of that. How do you validate that you have the necessary skills and how did you treat the skills that you needed but didn't have at the beginning?
5: yeah to do well, your
4: job well of course
5: <laughs> yeah well uh actually asking the right questions and the ability to um, interview to to conduct conduct uh, high quality interviews with uh, customers is uh actually a very um i'd say it's it's really a skill um not everybody has it uh but that doesn't mean you cannot be trained to do that, so there are certain let's say, best practices, approaches, uh, uh, even books uh, you can read uh, on how to approach uh, the different, uh, a customer interview. Like I said, in my case, uh, I started naturally doing that. Uh, That doesn't mean that I didn't improve my skills later on when I heard that there is like best practices and so on. But um, if if I would say to anyone who wants to learn this, uh, there is theory out there. And um, how do you validate that you acquired the skill? Well, ultimately, you will find out uh, whether you delivered value for the customer. And this is your ultimate validation. So if you delivered the value that initially you thought you could, then this is it. To build the right product, you have to add value to a certain group of customers. So, to be able to do that, of course, first you need to know, okay, what group of customers am I going to add value for? So you have to be very uh, specific in defining what exactly group of customers you're aiming for. Secondly, uh, because you defined very well that group of customers, you have to um, get to know their needs and problems very well. So. Initial, sometimes, initially, you have an idea to solve a particular need, but then when you talk to these customers, you find out that this is very, not that important to them. Uh, and maybe they have a bigger problem that um, they would be more willing to pay for it to be solved. Um, in any case, uh, you really need to understand the context of the customer, the need or the problem that you want to solve. And after that, uh, you you need to think about the various solutions that could solve that problem. Um, So, I would say uh, the first first thing is to be always in the shoes of the customer and very much understand their need. Um, Of course, if you come up with the wrong solution, that could be a hiccup after that. So, at a later point, when you when you propose a solution to the customer again you need to seek uh, close feedback from them um, and this way come up come to the right solution but i i would say the basis is understanding the customer first
4: yeah while you were explaining i was thinking okay it seems that this is a position for people with empathy and curiosity
5: more and more outsourcing companies want to uh, Develop their own products because they they understand the the added value for the business from this. Um, so the demand for having such talent is increasing. Um, separately, as for what we can do to accelerate this development, I guess uh, it it again starts from education. So I would say we could. Um, and we should um, open such like courses in universities or even in private academies uh there is the already um we have started I personally helped the tellic Academy start such a course uh in product management which uh, which has been a great success so far um and this is a good starting point to have the theoretical knowledge but then these people um will have to be given the opportunity to learn on the job to, from more experienced, uh, more senior product managers. And, it, and I think this gradually will happen. But currently I can see that uh, most of the companies already are are still looking for already developed senior product managers. So we need to start uh, giving a chance to people that we, ha- we see the... They have the, the right attitude and the, the right base skills, and coupled with some theoretical knowledge, to start developing those.
6: I think in, entrepreneurial is a, being entrepreneurial is a mindset rather than necessarily you having to create your own company. And I think you can you can be entrepreneurial in in any environment and in, in any shape or form that and context that you live in, as long as you are uh you have the capability to really objectively impact uh, the lives of others in a positive way uh, either be by creation of a interesting product or a service improve something existing or do some paradigm uh, change in uh, in a way that you see fit and basically have the audacity i would say to uh, to shape the world around you, whether small or big one, uh, in a way that you want it to be, as long as it's inclined towards improving others' life and bringing real value. Because a lot of, I uh, I tend to believe that a lot of startups uh, got a little bit confused over time that uh, hyping and uh, over promising uh, is more important than you actually objectively sitting, drawing the line at the end of the day and seeing. Through the efforts that I've done today, through the product or the service that I have created, am I objectively improving life conditions and 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 the world around me in the way that that I'm I wish to, or am I a little bit self uh, delusioning myself about the impact that I'm actually making? And, and this short term thinking, reflecting on the teams that you are working with, uh, a lot of teams they uh, they almost uh, consider. That, it's, that if they don't become millionaires overnight, that this is not a business that matters, that this is meaningless effort, and that you should search very fast to the new and, or the next overhyped company. And I think uh, markets would adjust those things very soon, and uh, and people would start to look much more um, strategically towards businesses who are uh, really impactful and, and and growing because of the value that they bring. Because if you have a business that grows thanks to the value that you are actually building and not thanks to the hype, the chances are that your business long term could grow and, and become uh, forced to be reckoned with in the industry and become deeply impactful in a way that you wanted it as an architect of this idea.
4: Uh, I can hear the historian speaking here. It's uh, amazing to have this perspective as a, as a business, like. A, as a CEO of a company, so thank you for that. You're basically saying that more or less people are glorifying money instead of the product and the impact that it is having. Um, What has been your strategy to attract the right investors uh, to scale uh, Endurosat? Because it seems to me that people that are in it to get a short-term gain, are not probably you're not interested in such investors as well
6: i think having capacity to bring great investors on board is a quality i think it's a success of your business for sure if you do very big rounds of investments attracting big investors because this means that you're really good in uh, presenting your uh, vision and, and selling it and, and convincing people who might help you to actually build a sensible business. But I'm more certain that uh, the capital is a part of the resource that you need to actually build uh, product. a product or the service of a value. <laughs> and in this case, every time that we had negotiations at Endurusat thus far, uh, we are always looking at, and I always ask genuinely uh, simple and very traditional questions of uh, I'm trying to understand from a personal point of view how uh, the investor would really uh, look into the company uh, three to five years ahead of us. Uh, How would he uh, potentially um, react when we have hard moments? Because every company has hard moments and you need your partners to be strong when the hard moments hit, not when everything is uh, with flying hours and you're like a rocket ship in terms of business. not always. You have the luxury to be arrogant enough to or sort good sales, salesmen so that you have uh, uh, the, the greatest, be, uh, best investors on the planet uh, lined up to beg you to get to, to at your door from one side. From the other side, you have to be very careful how you choose partners.
3: I mean, I never, when when started to Find Me Cure, at least I didn't think, Oh, I'm now starting a startup. Yay. Like. I'm thinking of, I want to bring value, like in the form of a business, value to patients, value to industry, and I want to build a product, and I want, I, I want this product to be sustainable and growing, et cetera. But they teach you on what's the, the investor world like, um, and that's super important. And the other thing was uh, they, they introduce you to investors, and the conversations with investors are super, super valuable. It was a, a huge challenge for me because it was for the first time to me having such uh, like conversations with investors and definitely not my way of talking, you know, with, like, you know, the numbers and statistical, I mean, I, I'm a different type of person, but I had to become a different, uh, like similar to investors. And that's a great thing because they taught me how you're supposed to think about your business. Not that you shouldn't be emotional and you shouldn't think about values and missions and stuff. Don't get me wrong; that's also important. But you also have to understand um, the the blood of your business, and the blood of your business is funding, the numbers. Maybe it's not even funding, but the numbers. Like how you need to quantify the value you're creating to someone. Yeah. Sometimes the value is um, not even related to to money. Sometimes it's something else, but you need to be able to quantify that in one way or another. What, you know, what uh, bodybuilders say, what, something that you can't measure, you can't improve. I learned this lesson through a lot of conversations with investors. Uh, the North Star, especially at the particular mm. stage of the company, should be the product market fit. Okay. If you are getting closer to a product market fit, that will give you a particular like, sign, you should do this, like you should optimize on your, let's say, product market fit. If you're far away from product market fit, then maybe you should think about different directions. Um, yeah, looking at the numbers, uh, also understanding how customers feel about uh, your, uh, your product, it's, it's important. It's the package. Are people getting excited? How do they speak about you? What else do they have to tell you about? Also, be careful how much to listen to your customers, because sometimes, actually, in most cases, if you want to innovate in a space, if you just listen to your customers, it will be hard to innovate, Mm -hmm. let's face it. Like In most cases, you need to be able to see beyond your customers' Mm -hmm. words and then understand uh, what's what, what they're saying is really relevant for your business, but what else you can bring to these customers that they haven't expected. If you're early on with an idea and you know the market already, and uh, you're very much convinced that the market is there, that the need is there, and you just need to get the funding so that you can start building the product, then most likely you're a good fit for an accelerator program. A
2: Couple of recent examples like the Payhole guys or early examples like Telerik or some others. The real thing is, besides our business, which is more system integration services business besides the cybersecurity space, we need definitely product ideas, which are becoming reality. Mm-hmm. And then we need to pair ourselves with these product companies. And then we have a real goal to market which is coming from here. Mm-hmm. And this is something that Bulgaria has to get better.
7: It's very often that when you're trying to do something new, you actually uh, cut off some of these fundamentals. So you, 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 s- you start thinking uh, uh, because the old, let's say whatever, uh, radio or medium or, or something that has been done in such a way doesn't work, then everything doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I learned over time is, is to differentiate between <clears throat> models that are uh, obsolete and that are no longer uh, valid or let's say terms of doing business or like, like some nuances, but to differentiate uh, those type of things uh, from the fundamentals mm-hmm. that, that actually uh, is the way you've been doing business uh, 100 years ago and it's, it will be the way you'll be doing business uh, 100 years later. So it, mm-hmm. it's uh, um, the value creation, you know, when you when you create value for mm-hmm. someone it will never, it will never be changed. There will no, there, there will be no business which doesn't create value mm-hmm. for its, uh, for its customers, audience, or, or whatever. So, this thing doesn't change.
1: Oh, that's amazing. It's actually yeah. giving you such a, such a unique perspective on the things because you know in the startup world we speak a lot about disruption and you know like totally erasing uh, the old, which is not true. You just need to understand where is the value creation still happening. Absolutely.
7: It. Okay. Totally. It was very, very eye-opening for me to, to, to see this. Uh, mm-hmm. Because exactly like you say, mm-hmm. y- you, you just draw the line and you say, the world starts from today. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it, it, it never does. It never yeah. does.
1: And stay tuned. We're coming back. And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.